0: north we happen to be in the house well let's clap hey if you're here for the first time welcome we're glad that you're with us today everyone joining us at collingswood otherwise known as seawood can you can we show some love to our collingswood family can we show some love to them everyone who's there for the first time um man have you ever had a peculiar week just a strange week you just feel like you're off a bit um I, i this is a peculiar week for me and um and it's all, it's okay. It's okay to have a peculiar week, maybe a moody week, an off week. And and for me, I've I've just learned whenever I'm in a season where I might be having an off week, I almost I try to lean into God a little bit because sometimes you just feel like it's He's trying to say something to me, He's trying to tell me something. And and I've just learned that sometimes when have you ever felt like just cloudy a bit in your thoughts, in your actions, in your response, things just begin to get dull in things. I've just you know, with the same power that raised Christ from the grave, if, if that same power dwells within us as believers, we don't need to let every day be ordinary. We, we have the power to make every day extraordinary. Not through what we accomplish, but through what He has already done on our behalf. And I just, there's just something special about knowing that we are chosen. In our difficulties, in our struggles, in our good seasons, and our bad seasons, in our off weeks, in our own weeks, that we're still highly favored. Amen? And sometimes it's in the difficult weeks that you need to remind yourself you're highly favored. I'm preaching to two people in the front. It's, it's in your off seasons that you need to remind yourself that you're set apart. It's always good to tell yourself and remind yourself that you're highly favored. When you just got a bonus or an increase and everything seems to be going good, right? It's in the difficult seasons you need to remind yourself through tears that I'm highly favored and I'm chosen and I'm set apart. It's in those seasons of difficulty that we really recognize who we are. I'm, I have a really nice outline put together today, but I'm just I'm gonna just give a little. Um, can you just talk with me today? I just want, is that all right? If you're here for the first time, I'm sorry, I'm I'm typically very, very, um, uh, well, for the most part, I try to be um, somebody like, I don't know about that. I I have pretty detailed outlines of things, but I just really feel like God wants to mess with us a little bit today. If he's messing with me, I'm going to mess with you. Is that all right? (laughs) Is that fair enough? Not done yet. Not done yet. Can you say that? Not done yet? He's not done. He's not done. He's not done what he started in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your business. He's not done. And I suppose for all of us, it sounds nice. It it, it has this bit of a ring to it. It's a good series title. But some of us, we have to believe it. We have to actually believe it in our spirit that God's not done yet. He's not done yet. Tell your neighbor he's not done yet. Just say it. He's not done. God's not done yet. He's not done yet. And sometimes when we, we seem to put off like, well, I don't know, it's a new season. It could God works in season and it could be a new season, but he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. Last week we had Dr. Don Leachie with us and I pray that he blessed you while he was here. And it was a bit unorthodox in the nature of how he teaches and the way that he, he shared. But I was blessed by it. I hope you were too. And if you're dealing with issues of shame, I encourage you to go online and to watch the message from last Sunday and Um, There's something powerful about understanding how to approach the things that the enemy uses to hold us down with. And um, it was a powerful Sunday, and I pray that you were blessed by it. Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about one thing that we will always be committed to and know within the deepest of our spirit that God's not done connecting people to the house of God. And I, I know for some of us, this is an interesting message because... For me, anyway, when I come to church, sometimes I like for the preacher to, te- to talk to me in a very direct way. Um, I like to listen to podcasts and things, and I like to get stuff for me. And when I hear things being preached that seem to, do, that seem to be focused um, on other people or other things other than myself, I, I begin to get disconnected from it. Because it doesn't seem applicable to what God's trying to do in my life. and Have you ever been there in that environment? Have you ever sat in a service where someone we start to preach, and it could be a topical message, it could be a passage of Scripture that you are familiar with, and when the pastor starts to preach about it, you say, ah, I know this, and you kind of sit back, you kind of relax internally. You seem to think that, oh... It's okay. They're not touching any of my buttons today, and I'm all right. And you kind of like look at the person next to you because it has to do with them and not with you, and 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 all of that stuff. And and I've realized that that God has a very interesting way of exposing our faith. He has an interesting way of getting us to a place to be good at self-evaluating where we are on this faith journey. And usually, it comes about in ways that we don't like. He he does things to us or, or puts us in situations. And sometimes life just happens and the enemy puts us in places and the enemy attacks us. But God is ever-present. He's there in the difficult seasons. And He uses that which the enemy intended to harm you for your good. And only He can do that. And sometimes when we try to figure out how is God going to work this for good, we just cause ourselves more harm. But in our spirit, we just need to know that He's going to work this for good. He's not done yet. And sometimes we're so quick to run to the end of the story but we don't have permission to write it. He's the author of it. And so we faithfully trust Him that the author and the finisher of our faith will pen the completion of it in a good way. Can you say amen? When we say that God's not done connecting people to church, it's interesting because He does that through us. He does that through the people of God. The other night I was, I was reading, and I, I noticed something interesting. In the Gospel of Matthew, they don't have these verses because I'm just going rogue this morning. You said it was all right. and um, Jesus was notified that John the Baptist was beheaded. And he was just in one of those seasons. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those seasons before in your life where... Well, you, just don't want to, you, you almost don't even feel like getting out of bed. It's just like everything around you seems to be dark. Everything just seems to be dull. There's no joy in what brought you joy before. It's just a, a numbing season. Maybe it's because what you thought was going to bring you great joy and great pleasure and great purpose didn't, and you're there, and now you're just recalculating everything in your life. And maybe you're here today, and you have no idea what is up and what is down, and you feel and you would describe yourself as just lost. Though you know God and you know and are familiar with the church, you just feel like the season you're in right now is one with no direction. That's where God does His best work. That's where God exposes what type of trust we have in Him. And here it is, we find that Jesus was just notified that John the Baptist was beheaded. And it's interesting because I've preached this passage of Scripture before, but I never realized the context of the emotions that Jesus carried into this miracle. Because some of us, we, we are a highlight-driven culture today, and everything is highlighted. It's the good, it's the, it's the better, it's the best, it's never just the normal. And I'm starting to recognize that the real friends in your, in your life are the ones that you can talk about the crap with, <laughs> and they don't judge you because of it. We're inundated with all the good things, but sometimes we just need people that can carry our difficult things with us. And so Jesus is dealing with some difficult things. And it's interesting because in this passage of Scripture, it says as soon as Jesus heard the news in Matthew chapter 14, it says as soon as he heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. He just needed some time with the Father. But it's interesting because immediately after that, it says that everyone in the surrounding cities and towns heard about where he was headed. <laughs> and they just pursued him. They chased him down. You ever tried to get alone and you can't? I never had that problem until I had kids. <laughs> and, and you can be alone for a while, but you eventually have to come home. <laughs> and the kids are there. And then you're like, I'll just get up early. And you're like, I got plenty of time. And then that hour or two hours just seems to evaporate. And you hear the feet coming down the steps. You're like, oh, God, no. (laughs) If they woke up at like 25%, we'd be all right. But Levi wakes up at like 100%. percent Avi about 125, you know. And they're just ready to go. You can't get alone. Jesus tried to get alone, but he couldn't. It says, but the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed him. And not from one town, but from many towns, they followed him. Now listen to this. Jesus was trying to get alone, but he was followed by people. People who were broken, people who were hurting, people who did not have it all together. And they just knew that he had something that they needed and that they desperately wanted. So they pursued him. They followed him. And so it says in verse 14 that Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from his boat. And it said he had compassion on them and began to heal the sick. He tried to get away and he couldn't get away. Do you know, God uses us in seasons when we want to be alone to minister to other people. But there's a prerequisite in it. It's that we're committed to the cause of Christ. Do you know, we say this verse often in church, it's Psalm 92 verse 13. It says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. Do you know what it means? It means that you're planted in the house. That word planted, I don't know, I suppose it could be best described as rooted down. I don't know if you've driven by the new building on Orr Road recently, but um, we're nearing the finish line and there's a lot of plants being planted there now. Hundreds of plants. And they were just planted. And... I could probably take my three year old son over there if I wanted, and I would say, Levi, rip out that plant, and he could probably do it with ease. Not because he's, he is pretty strong, but um, not because he's, he's that strong, but because that which was planted hasn't had time to root itself yet. And many of us don't give ourselves time to become rooted in church. And because there's a delay often in our relational connection with other people and because we often don't feel like we belong, we don't stay long enough because there's a delay in the process and we leave before God has a time to root us down and to be planted. Um, how many of you are married? You Put your hands up. There's a lot of you. So there should be a lot of prayer in this house. <laughs> um have you ever had a conversation with your spouse about a strategy or an approach? And this happens frequently in, in marriage. I've found out that we're not the only ones in this. And maybe it's with disciplining your kids. Maybe it's with the approach on eating, what, how you should eat, what type of food you should eat. Maybe it's about what you wear, or where you shop. I don't know. But have you ever had a strategy conversation? And you are just so sure of your strategy that you will argue until you are blue in the face to say, this is how it should be done. Is there anyone else, married couple that... Okay, there's like six of you that are honest. And that's all right. That's why you're in church. And um, and I just wonder if some of us believe God's strategy. Like, I just wonder if some of us actually believe that if we are devoted and planted in God's house, it will flourish. Because, see, the difference between those who who are fully committed to the faith and who are followers of Jesus, I don't think they waver on God's strategy. I think a lot of us are, are looking for ways to argue with God about why His strategy doesn't work. Well, God, I was planted in this church and it didn't work out and I never got this and this never happened. And Can I just tell you that sometimes what God needs to work out of you requires time. And it requires you to just stay where you are. But be intentional about where you are. Be committed to where you are. I watch God. Can I tell you something? God is going to redeem this planet through us. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. (laughs) That's his plan. To redeem humanity through the local church. This is plan A, not plan B or plan C. And he does it in a peculiar way. He does it through relationships and connectedness of other people. It means that through the storm and the difficulty that you're dealing with right now, God wants to use you in the midst of that to connect other people to himself. (laughs) I just think it's so peculiar. It's like, We pray, God, I need you, I need you, I need time alone, I just, I can't deal with all this. And then all of a sudden, we have other people who are in need as well, and they seem to follow us. (laughs) It's been like this running joke in our family. Whenever I seem to get overwhelmed or frustrated in a public place, or I'm just trying to hide, it's like God lets me know, like, I can't hide people come up and they're like, hey, pastor. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I think sometimes we we try to hide from God and we just become absent from the body of Christ. Jesus was trying to hide, but all these people came around him and he began to heal people and he began to teach them. And I love this because Jesus was just teaching them and he never said in Scripture that This is a problem because no one has anything to eat. Scripture records that Jesus doesn't identify that as a problem. The disciples do. And so I just find it interesting that those who are followers of Christ seem to identify that they're lacking something with Christ, and he's almost frustrated by it. I get the sense that, that just a few chapters earlier, you remember the story where the storm began to swell and Jesus was in the boat with them and, and they think they're going to die and they wake Jesus up and they say, hey, you got to save us. And Jesus wakes up and almost, I don't know about you, but I almost sense this sense of discontentment in his response to them and saying, ye of little faith, are you kidding me? And just says, be still and the waves stop. And it's almost as if Jesus is frustrated by them not knowing who he is. For some of us, we say, I'm a follower of Christ. But it's usually the storm that reveals the degree to which you actually trust Him. <laughs> it's the testing ground to see the strength of your faith. And some of you are going through a difficult storm. Let it, don't, don't be dis, discouraged by the fact that you might be wavering in your faith... But let it be a reminder that you don't you don't evacuate from it. You don't allow fear to push you away. You allow your faith to push you in. So Jesus uses this as kind of a teaching point, saying, Oh, I'm just discouraged. Do you not know who I am? And silences the waves. <laughs> I know for a fact if that was me in a boat, I'd be like, it wasn't Peter it was the one who was crying. I was fine. I was fine, you know? <laughs> wasn't me. I was cool. I knew you could just wake up and be like, waves, be still. Don't move at all. And I was like, so I was chill. I was just cool. And then, no, they weren't like that. They were all, all like, like freaking out. And Jesus wakes up and just calms them. And then, can you imagine the awkwardness of that? And then he probably goes back to sleep and everyone's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Wish you have let him sleep. You know what I mean? And then it comes to this point and he finds out about John the Baptist and they're getting ready and he's being surrounded. He's surrounded by so many people. Can I tell you that, that God... God's not, he's not disrespectful of your emotional, maybe just how fragile you are right now. But sometimes it's in that very place that he's going to do his greatest work. What God needs to do to heal you in that place is to recognize that healing comes from placing more trust in him, not placing more trust in yourself. And when we get alone with God, it's in that place of our own brokenness that God begins to heal us in placing more trust in him and less trust in ourselves. And sometimes he does that by allowing you to minister to other people in your own brokenness. And so Jesus was completely broken because John the Baptist was beheaded and he's trying to get away. And when he gets to where he was trying to go, there are crowds there, not small crowds, but people waiting by the thousands. And then the disciples approach Jesus and they say, we have a problem. What's the problem? It's getting dark. No one has food. We should send them away. And I I almost feel like Jesus is having the same deja vu moment as the boat. Thinking like, "Hmm, wow, okay. Um, I guess that wasn't good enough. Um, But then this is interesting, his response to them. He says, you feed them. I just find this interesting because some of you want God to do something, but God wants you to move from where you are so that he can use you to be part of the miracle that you've been praying for. God, God uses us in the process of our own development. He uses us in our own brokenness. He uses us in our own difficult seasons to minister to other people. And in the process of ministering to other people, he ministers to us. <laughs> and so Jesus says, feed them. Can you imagine that awkward conversation? Because you don't want to say no, because you know what he can do with the waves. He just silences. He has a power and the authority to speak to nature, and it listens. And he says, Feed them. I'm like, oh gosh, okay. Um, what do you have? And what you have is always enough when it's surrendered to God. And so he takes the boy's lunch, he blesses it before the Father and Jesus says distribute it Jesus didn't distribute it sometimes the greatest miracles are the ones that we work with God in and we partner with him and we represent him well and he says you distribute the nourishment the people need around you and they did and something powerful happened in that moment. All were fed. And if you read a few chapters later, you'll find that Jesus tells them to go. Get in the boat and go. It's exhausted. Have you ever been exhausted from doing good? <laughs> having a big dinner? Having all these people around, ministering to people, and you're emotionally And physically exhausted, Jesus tells the disciples, go. And Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he begins to pray alone to the Father. But we read in Scripture that while they were going across the Sea of Galilee, which I guess would be a lake to us, right? I love it. Josephus, who's an early historian, says that during the first century, there was roughly around 250 vessels that would be on this lake parts of the lake are nearly 175 foot deep it's a deep lake but there's people all over there, boats and vessels they're fishermen but it's in this valley there's hills on the side 700 feet below sea level and so what happens apparently the winds come in quickly and it can cause the waters to stir in a way that are almost treacherous people could die i just find it interesting disciples are exhausted. They're tired. They just fed over 5,000 people, and Jesus insists, scripture says, to get into the boat. They're tired, and he tells them to get into the boat, and it's not as if he doesn't know what's getting ready to transpire, and he goes to the mountain to be with his father, and they go across the lake, and it's in that very spot that another storm starts to stir, (laughs) and what I think is so interesting is that Scripture doesn't record that they start to panic because Jesus isn't there. They almost figured out through the last several miracles that he's present with them. And then all of a sudden, they start to see this figure walking on the water. And Scripture records that they all panic. They all panic. (laughs) And they start to scream, it's a ghost. And immediately when they start to say it's a ghost, Jesus identifies himself. He says, no, it's me. And I think for many of us, it's in seasons of fear that that as God approaches us in a way that we're not expecting him to approach us. We just miss him. And we start saying, oh God, God, this is bad. This is bad. This is a ghost. And Jesus like, no, no, it's just me. Can you imagine? (laughs) He's walking on the water, guys. You know what I mean? He's walking towards us. And, Jesus, and Peter, I love this, he calls to him and says, if it is you, call me out. And we know the story, Jesus calls Peter out and he walks on water and then he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to look around him and all the things going on and he's distracted and he's overwhelmed and fear begins to fill his spirit and he begins to sink and Jesus walks over to him and he declares to him, he says, ye have little faith. He's almost like, why don't you trust me enough? Why don't you keep your eyes upon me? How often do we get distracted by the things around us and we become so obsessed by our own storm, by our own struggles, by our own challenges that we forget that we're called to something greater than what we're called to. We're called to minister to people, to redeem people, to pull them out of the place of brokenness. The house of God is a place of hope for the hopeless. It's a place of healing for the sick. It's a place of salvation to those that are lost and we play a part in pulling people out of their brokenness and into a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever seen those things that? What I don't even know what they're called—the spinny things at the park. What are they called? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like the little things—they're probably outlawed now. You know what I mean? Just like every fun thing back in the day. Do you remember the swings that you could go so high you could almost flip over and kill yourself? They were the greatest swings ever, and they got whatever. So uh, the, the the little spinny things and um you push them and they just start to go and I think a lot of all my father's grandchildren were all in there the other day and I remember watching them spin around and I remember starting to laugh because based upon where they were standing on this spinny thing, <laughs> I don't know what that's called, merry-go-round or whatever it is, um, their expression was different. So the ones that were on the very end, which was like my children, and they were holding on like this, as it got faster and faster, their faces went from sheer fun to sheer panic. You know? And all of a sudden, in a matter of time, they would just let go and just fly off, covered in dirt, face in the the mulch coming up. It's up their nose and their mouth and their teeth. And they're like, awesome, you know, and they'd run back. I'm like, okay, this is great. It's almost like I see the church like that. In a strange way, I see the church like this merry-go-round, if you would, for lack of a better term, that people come on and based upon where they are in their proximity, the ride is different. And it's like the closer you get to the center of it, the better it gets. And when you stand in the very center, there was little Liberty, little Libby, she's standing in the center and she just smiles no matter what. And she's just there. And she's the youngest. She's the tiniest. She's the cutest little thing. And she's like this tall. And she's just standing there in the center going like this. You know? And all the older kids are on the outside getting flung everywhere. And she's just in the center. And I'm like, this is a picture. I'm like, all of us in the storm have the decision to make. Do I walk in more and become more planted in the house of the God in the house of God become more connected in the house of God it doesn't mean that there are no trials and no tribulations but the journey is more enjoyable because there's less tension that you'll be thrown off back into the things of the world. There's less tensions that pull you. When you're on the perimeter and walking on the fringe, it's so hard to be committed and devoted and sold out for the things of God. It feels like every time things, life starts happening, you keep getting pulled further and further away and you keep falling off until finally you just say, you know what, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of being. Pulled and the tension being so hard of the things of the world, it's because you're floating around the perimeter of your relationship with God. That's not what you were called to do. And so when people say to me, they're like, oh man, the church thing, just can't do it. Just can't do it. Just can't do it. You know what I know in my head? You're one of those people who are hanging on the outside of the spinny thing. You're not, no one will last there. I remember growing up, my father had this little tractor, it's a Kubota tractor, and um, we were very innovative. We used to uh, tie our Christmas tree um, by the by the root with a big rope. Remember that, Dad? And um, yeah, by the stock, and we would hook it up to the to the four wheeler, and we would go as fast as we could and just pull people through the snow, holding on to the Christmas tree. It was so dangerous, but it was so much fun. And. Um, <laughs> And then we modified it a little bit because people were getting too injured. So what we did was is we got this massive, massive inner tube that they use for the big tractors. And it would probably stand taller than, than myself. And we would tie a rope around it. And the rope was probably 40 or 50 yards long. Remember this? And we would wait till we got like four or five inches of snow. And we'd go up into the center of the field. And we would just start driving. And at first, it's like, are you kidding me? Because the tractor didn't go that fast, remember? It was kind of like, it was bad. And I loved it because when no one knew what was coming, they're like, really? Is this all the tractor has, you know? And you just smile because you knew that after a few moments, there would build up enough momentum that that tire, that tube, would no longer be a circle. It would be stretched out like a pencil because it would spin so fast around the outside that no one could hold on to it. It was just a matter of time. And then the funny thing was, is that we thought of another game because not everyone could fit on the tube. That if you weren't on the tube, you would stand in between the tractor and the tube. And every time the rope would come around, this was fun, remember this? A lot of concussions happened during these days. <laughs> Praise Jesus, and, um, and the rope would spin, and so if you weren't on the tube, you would stand in between. Now, the funny thing is, is whenever you were on the tube, there was never, ever a moment where you could relax. There's always tension. You know people who follow Jesus like that? It's always so hard. It's so difficult. It's so challenging, and then they always fly off, and then they come back, and they come back with this overwhelming sense of, I got to do, I got to do, I can't do it, and there's always never good enough, and they always end up leaving the church. And then there are the people that are in between the tractor and the tube, which to them, it's like, chill, everything's okay. Like, oh, yeah, man, I'm cool, I'm cool. But if they're not careful enough, and they're not ready for it, when that rope came around, had no respecter of persons, didn't matter how old you were or how young you were, when that rope came around, if you didn't jump in the right time, it would take you out. Bad. And I started to realize the only person that was really safe in this entire process was me, because I was on the tractor. (laughs) but I was closest to the center. I don't know where you are in your journey today with with the Lord, but I know one thing, that if you try to do life with Jesus on the outside and on the fringe of things, this journey is going to be so overwhelming for you. It's going to be so difficult because you're going to try to do it in your own strength. Listen, I know there's many of you here today who come and it's like you enjoy church. You really do. You enjoy it. But you weren't called to enjoy church. I just want to be honest with you. You were called to walk with Jesus, to walk with Jesus. And that requires you to be more relationally connected. And some of you, you don't like God's strategy with that. You're like, come on, God, you know I don't like people. Well, not that much, you know what I mean? So why do I have to be around other people? Can't I just worship you by myself at my house? You could, but that's not how God designed it. Because it's when you're connected in relationship with other people that he works in you what needs to be in you and works out of you what needs to come out of you. And so I don't know where you are, but you need to press in. That's why next steps are so important to us. So wherever you find yourself on the circle spinny thingy, (laughs) I want to encourage you to take a next step towards the center. So whatever that means for you, maybe it means getting baptized. Maybe it means serving on team. Maybe it means giving. Maybe it means bringing people to the house of God. Maybe it means praying and reading the word and fasting more. I don't know what it means for you, but I want to encourage you to take a next step. And before we're done today, I want to pray with many of you. Because some of you, your first step is saying yes to Jesus. And so will you right now, will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So The Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me. Just say this prayer. Say, Dear dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited, The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you. Find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with a Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.